0: Wad Vancouver, free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from sports odds to free casino games, make a play at bodog.net. Wadden and j here with you, summer edition of the podcast as uh, we take it down a little bit. We'll be here with you weekly now as opposed to uh, five days a week. However, uh, some news still happening around the Vancouver Canucks and in particular development camp, JPAT, which you were down at, at UBC, you know what stood out to you around development camp this year? Cause I know there's some names that people wanted to see a uh, VLander, uh, the Karamaki out there as well. You know, what jumped off the page at development camp for J
1: Yeah.
2: Just before we get into all that, I, I kind of feel like this is like, you know, really quite unplugged, right? Like it's sort of like, uh, our summer sessions or something like yeah. that. Like it's stripped down. It's just, you know, like, you know, news is going to start to, uh, I think cease. Uh, but you're right. Just acoustic guitars yeah, here, yeah, not, not electric. In okay, my head, that's you. sort of yeah, what yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> as we we do this. Yeah, you can play the bongos or something. Uh, yeah, development camp. Uh, it's short. It's sweet. It's uh, a bunch of guys that uh, will never see NHL ice, and then it's a question of you know the, the guys at the top end. Uh, some of them year over year, like you know, the, obviously a lot of people wanted to see Tom Alander, uh and that's fine. Like, he represents hope for this organization. I get that. I wanted to see Tom Alander, but, you know, I don't really have much of a baseline because this is his first year in the organization where guys like Lekromacki and the other Elias Petterson saw them a year ago, and now you see them a second time around, and, you know, you can see, like, they've grown, they've filled out, all those types of things. So, uh, you know, a pretty good crowd, I thought, uh, at the scrimmage game hardcore people that need their hockey fix on the, whatever that was, the 5th of July. You know, a couple hundred people out at UBC on a sunny uh, Wednesday night, and I think they were entertained. Like, the effort level's certainly there. It was pretty scrambly hockey, as you can imagine, though. I mean, again, three days of camp, a lot of these guys have never seen each other, played with each other, and, you know, it's not full rosters either, so I think one of the teams had like eight forwards, and then you're getting different line combinations, and all that kind of stuff, but there, without a doubt, there is a tier. There is uh, LaKerramaki. There's Olander. There's Elias Pedersen. You know, I think there was uh, some shine on Josh Bloom, the guy that they got in the Riley Stillman trade. You know, I, I think those were players that people wanted to see. I think the organization wants to see and, and has belief in in all of those guys. Uh, for me, when I looked at the scrimmage, and when I think back, and then you know, I took a few notes. So as I refer uh, to my notepad. One of the guys that jumped out at me, just based solely on his size, is the goaltender, the Belarusian goaltender Nikita Tola And I, I just I felt like I was watching Jacob Markstrom the whole time. Big kid, yeah. And look, there are a lot of big goaltenders in hockey today, but you know this guy is sort of at that extreme end. Like you know, I'd say six six, easy six six, and then on skates, and just. Fills out the net and and pitched a shutout in the first half of the game that they played. There was two 25 minute halves and then some overtime. Uh, and he just looked, you know, he's big. He covered a lot of net, um, but you know, has an economy of motion uh, to him. Like he's not big and awkward. Like he seems to be able to, you know, manipulate the levers that he needs to to, to make the saves. And and so really going to be interesting to see kind of where he falls on this organizational depth chart. But first time. I went out there twice. I went out for one of the practice sessions, and then I went out for the scrimmage. So, you know, i had seen him, and I'm just, you know, really curious to sort of see where does he fall. There's already this intrigue about what's going to happen behind Demko and the backup job. He's not in line, I don't think, for an NHL job. First year coming over to North America. But... You know, Is he going to be one of the two guys in Abbotsford? How much is he going to play there? Uh, How much is he going to force the hand if he continues to progress and develop and have the kind of season that he had uh, last year in the Elsvenskan in in Sweden? So, you know, again, just because of his size, I was drawn to him, and I suppose the position, but he was good in the half of the game that he played. Uh, The other guy, again, speaking of tall guys, is uh, that Vilmer Alriksen, the the fourth-round pick from this year's draft. I... (laughs) The size is undeniable. Like, he's 18 years old and he's just like, he looks like he's on stilts out there, but remarkably raw. And I thought in the game itself, you know, there were a couple of occasions where Puck was on his stick and you thought, like, this would be a good shooting opportunity and he kind of fumbled or didn't get much of a shot away. Uh, There clearly are things that you know, limited him and made him the fourth round pick that he was right. Like at that size, if this guy had it all together, I think he would have been a more tantalizing prospect. So be interesting to see what the Canucks can do with this player development. They've spent so much on player development, the people in the player development department. And now, you know, what do they get on the return of that investment in terms of, you know, Michael Sanderson over in Europe, Mike Commissarek, Chris Higgins, some of these guys that are going to be hands-on with these prospects. So, Uh, You know, the the scrimmage itself was uh, relatively entertaining, low-scoring. Josh Bloom ended up winning uh, the game on, you know, a 3-on-3 overtime goal, and then they all went through the motions, did a little shootout, just sort of value-added, I suppose, for the fans that were there. Uh, But all things considered, I think, organizationally, uh, you know, they seemed pretty pleased with the way that the camp went. And, you know, as I said, like, you know, you bring in 40 bodies... Some of them are late-round draft picks. Some of them are free agents. Some of them are, you know, college invites. Whatever the case, like, this will be as good as it gets for a lot of these guys. But you're hoping from a camp like this one, and last year's camp, uh, Arthur Silas was there, Aiden McDonough was there, Nil Amon was there. I mean, they got three guys out of last year's camp that played in the National Hockey League. This year, Akita Hirose is there, Cole McWard was there. So you've already got two guys that have played NHL games the one guy that surprised me a little bit that wasn't at development camp, and I understand the reason for it, I guess, but I thought Atu Ratu might be there, new to the organization. He's 20 years of age. Like, I think we forget how young this guy is. He doesn't turn 21 until November. There were a bunch of guys that were from the draft class of 2020 at this camp. He was a 2021 pick of the Islanders, so you know it's not like an age thing at all. I do think... You know he spent an entire season playing professionally in North America, and that seemed to be the cutoff. But I just thought, new guy to the organization, you don't have that many blue chip prospects, and he is one of them. I kind of thought maybe they'd bring him in to you know set the bar and, and give others uh, a baseline to compare themselves to, but also just to get to know some of the other you know, this is his peer group. The you know, now he was in Abbotsford, and again, so he knows the Abbotsford guys. Anyways, I asked Chris Higgins about it afterwards, and he said, yeah, they kind of went through a bunch of names. He just It's a case-by-case basis, and I think it was more the case that Aturatu spent an entire season playing professionally in North America. Like, Archie Baines was at last year's camp. They didn't bring him back this year, but there are guys that have been at a bunch of these camps, so it really is sort of the individual. I guess I I just was a little surprised that Aturatu... I thought he could have been a decent fit at a camp like this. And again, if you're trying to show off you know some of your prospects to your fan base it would have been an opportunity uh what right to play three or four games at the NHL level and then the rest of the time after the trade down in Abbotsford uh whatever the case he escaped development camp uh, he's, those those are you know his development years will continue and as i said he's only 20 but he was not among those uh, at this year's Canuck development camp.
0: Yeah, just looking through the uh, list of the rosters on uh, team Comisarek and team Samuelson and I see uh, Akita Hirose and Cole McWard uh, got some time at development camp as well. So they're the only guys really that sort of touched NHL ice, I believe on these uh, rosters that were there.
2: Yeah, and then, you know, and then there were a handful of guys like uh, Quinn Schmieman. Played in Abbotsford last year, but was sort of a depth guy. Didn't play a lot. But, you know, he was in the system. He was at last year's camp. Um, And then otherwise, uh, you know, a lot of Europeans. Uh, That's just the way the Canucks have uh, gone about. And, 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 you know, a handful of college guys as well. I thought Aiden Celebrini, you know, my first look at him. uh, And again, it was fleeting. But I thought for a sixth-round pick, like in that scrimmage, I thought he did some decent things. Uh, Looked like he has pretty solid hockey scent. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, he's going to Boston University along with Tom Lander. What was the score of the scrimmage, by the way? Uh, 3-2 was the final uh, in overtime. Josh Bloom scored the breakaway Uh, in overtime. You know, Bloom was a guy that I know that, like, there was a lot of buzz around the rink, the organization. Like, you know, they think they've got a player there. Uh, Yeah, he scored the winner in overtime. I didn't think his scrimmage was exceptional he didn't stand out to me but like I didn't walk out of there thinking any one guy had really set himself apart and again I just think that sort of speaks to the nature of the timing in summer and you know just it was a fairly scrabbly game and so it was what it was Um, it was a nice little you know refresher that hey uh, we're not that far away from the start of hockey season, but uh, you know, probably the last time that uh, we'll see organized hockey at any level uh, for a few weeks at the very least. Yeah,
0: Josh Bloom, a third-round pick back in 2021 of the Buffalo Sabres, had 55 points in 49 games in the OHL last year. He'll graduate now to uh, Abbotsford next year, so be on the lookout for uh, Josh Bloom there. On the ice, I'm assuming both the Sedin's and of course uh, Samuelson, Komisarek. You mentioned uh, Higgins there. That was
2: the uh, player development team that was out there. Oh, it, it's incredible! The practice that I went to uh, the day before the scrimmage, like there had to be ten coaches on the ice uh, and probably 18 skaters. Like the coach. That's like an race... all-star team that I just mentioned, well, though. Like, you know. and yeah, I mean, look, a lot of these guys that are on the ice coaching have played in the National Hockey League, like Jeremy Calliton was out there. Uh, Yogi Sarkovsky, the skills coach that we know we're Tockett, uh, is going to bring a little more into the fold this year. But yeah, the Sedines out there, Ian Clark, uh, the goaltender coach from Abbotsford as well. Uh, they had a power skating coach that uh, they had brought in. She was working with players individually. So like the the hands-on coaching that uh, these guys got in their two groups, they split the, the, the groups in two. You know, that is a development camp. I mean, that's essentially what it is. It's for a lot of these guys... You know the resources at the junior level, or at some of these smaller European programs, they are what they are. Now you get to the NHL, and the Canucks can devote this type of resource and this type of you know hands-on coaching for these guys, so they can give them a few things to take back from camp and and work with them. You know the one thing I will say is, and the Canucks have the reasons for this. The whole thing was conducted out at UBC, and. There's no Ice at Rogers Arena right now. At some point the summer, they're gonna be putting a brand new scoreboard in there. It's a bit of a construction zone, they're in concerts. But like I think to myself, like some of these guys that come from like the big time NCAA programs, like we've all seen the videos of like the locker rooms and the weight rooms at some of these big schools. And then like they're cramming into dressing rooms out at UBC and they're using like the, the gym at UBC and I don't know. Like to me, part of the allure of being able to hold a summer development camp would be to have it in your rink and to let these guys skate on Rogers Arena ice and dare to dream and get a you know a sense of like what it means to truly be a Vancouver Canucks. But
0: but don't most of these teams use their practice facilities
2: for these development camps? Uh huh. But you just answered your own question there, right? They they have a practice facility. They don't have one, and so they're and look, the UBC facilities are fine. Don't get me wrong; they're they're okay. But I just like. UBC hockey compared to, you know, Michigan or Wisconsin or Boston or Boston College, you know, they would just blow anything that UBC's got out of the water. And so, uh, you know, for Tom Melander, this is his first look at the Canuck organization. I don't know how much time they spend in and around Rogers Arena itself. But again, the uh, ice isn't there, so it's not the, the center point of this development camp. And so, you know, this is their first look. But I just, I remember covering development camps where the scrimmage was at at Rogers Arena, and I just thought, like, for some of these guys, again, this is as far as they're going to progress, like, but that's still a pretty cool memory. To, hey, I got to play a game and, you know, skate at Rogers Arena where, uh, you know, the Canucks uh, play their games. So, anyways, uh, somewhere down the line, someday, I know that the, the practice facility is on their list. Uh, maybe they'll get there, but, uh, yeah, it just got me thinking last night that, uh, you know, to me, it doesn't necessarily show off the Vancouver Canucks organization the way that, in my mind, I I think it ought to, but uh, it is what it is, and they seem happy enough with the the way that the development camp went.
0: Well, I've been to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, it's a far cry from Vancouver. All right, so maybe the facilities at the University of Michigan are much better, but a much nicer city out here in Vancouver. All right, let's hear from Chris Higgins, uh, of course, Assistant Director of Player Development with the Vancouver Canucks, who was pleased with the development camp.
1: I thought it was great Pace was great Competitiveness Um, Guys You know Saw the little details That it takes to be a pro I think that you know Trying to put myself back And you know, when I came out of college hockey, what it what, what overwhelmed me it was just the attention to detail. So, um, hopefully, give them some pieces to uh, go back to where they where they played, where they're playing this year, and and uh, hopefully be better off for it.
0: Yeah, of course they'll be better off for it, especially when you consider like just who they're working with on the ice and all the names that we uh, mentioned earlier. There, I do like the fact that Chris sort of reflected back on his own career too, though, and you know the fact that he came from the college hockey route, which is more of a a route that a lot of different players are taking nowadays. But you know, in Chris's day, maybe. maybe not have been the most natural route to the NHL.
2: Yeah, I got a kick. Uh, he said last night, like, the biggest difference you know, in his day, he said, like, there were just a handful of guys that couldn't play. Like, I don't, he wasn't sure why they were invited, but, you know, the big, lunky defensemen and he's like, every guy here can play. They're not all going to play in the NHL, but You know they're fast, they're mobile. Uh, He said that's the biggest difference. It's like you can't write any of these guys off, or they wouldn't be at this camp. And you know, back when he was breaking in, there were a few guys that, uh, you know, who knows why organizations brought them, whether they wanted, uh, you know, toughness and trying to intimidate and scare the crap out of other guys at the camp. You know, those guys don't exist anymore. Every guy that is here can keep up with the pace. So I can sort of, you know, I've covered hockey, sort of. Over those years of Chris's career, and, and I remember, like, there were guys that had no business being in, you know, early camps, and and now all of these guys can play. There's no doubt about that.
0: All right, well, most people that are listening to this podcast want to know about the Canucks' first-round picks over the last couple of years, Jonathan LeCaramacchi and Tom Willander. Uh, let's hear what Chris Higgins had to say about LeCaramacchi.
1: Oh, the guy I bring up would be Jonathan LeCaramacchi. I mean, it just looked uh, looked. You know, it was a lot for him to come over, do the draft, and then come right out here. He looked a little bit tired from the time change and all that. And you know, this year he looks like a completely different, different player, more confident, um, you know, more sure of himself. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's hard. I mean, it's hard for us. I was, I'm tired. You know, like I'm tired. So, yeah, you know, we got we got back at three in the morning from Nashville, and the next day guys were rolling in. So it's it's been. Uh, it's been a long stretch, but uh, we're really, really happy with how uh, things things turned out this year.
0: Yeah, LeCaramaki just had 31 games played between uh, the Swedish uh, 1 division and the junior division, but 15 playoff games and 15 points there. I know people are salivating over those stats.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about it uh, when he signed the contract. I think that was a reflection and a reward from the organization. They recognized that uh, he finished strong, that you know he had mono, he had a, a foot injury, uh, got off to a tough start, didn't have a great world junior championship, but damn, in that scrimmage... This guy just shoots from everywhere. Like he is a volume shooter, and and his shot is his calling card. I, I think he's going to have to round out his game. I mean, you can't just shoot every time you cross the blue line, you know, and, and you got to work with teammates. And, you know, I still think there's some filling out to do, but he did look confident in the scrimmage. He scored a nice goal. And to me, it was just in that uh, first half or the first period. Uh, every time the puck's on a stick, like he is looking to shoot, and he's got a uh, you know a shot that is a weapon. He can beat goaltenders. Uh, he didn't really score his goal. People probably saw the video. The Canucks posted it. Go into the net, took a nice pass, and, and kind of tapped it in. So he didn't score with you know what I would consider sort of his patented move. But it wasn't for lack of trying. I don't think anybody was keeping stats out there uh, for a summer scrimmage. But I uh, would have loved to have known how many shots at net. Uh, didn't always hit the target, so there's still some work to be done there. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of... That was my initial impression with LeCaramaki was just, man, this guy's a a volume shooter, and we'll see if that continues or if he finds a way to sort of round out the rest of his game.
0: Tom Willander, of course, is going to be headed to Boston University. Chris Higgins likes the fact... That he'll be staying on North American soil.
1: Smart, quick feet, um, strong for his size. Yeah, I'm really happy that he's coming over. Obviously, to play college hockey, it's a much quicker trip for us. Mike Homiseric lives in Connecticut, which is a quick trip. You know, we got Jackson Dorrington, uh, Celebrini, so he's gonna get a lot of love. Um, and uh, yeah, we're a great program. We're Really, really excited that uh, that he's come over and and. Um, Uh, get himself accustomed to the small rink, which I find is a big, big change for a lot of the European defensemen, especially. Do you think that this could uh, speed up
0: his route to the NHL by going to Boston University as opposed to staying over in Sweden and, and, you know,
2: perhaps developing slower? Yeah, look, Boston's a good program. I don't know where he's going to slot on their depth chart, how he's going to be used, but I would expect that he will play more minutes in games than he might have as a, an 18-year-old in the Swedish Elite League or the Swedish Hockey League. So yes, I do think it will uh, help his development. How much, you know, until I sort of see the role that he's going to play on what should be a pretty good Boston team, you know, it's hard for me to know. But from a Canucks standpoint... Uh, as Higgins said, my commissary based there. Uh, you know, other guys will work their way in and out of the Boston area. They'll see him a lot. They'll be in contact. You know, if he's got issues, uh, not only does he have his own uh, coaching staff to work with, but uh, the Canucks will be there and be hands on. And so, uh, you know, I-, I wasn't blown away by Willander in the scrimmage, uh, but I want to be so careful. It was just that. It was a summer camp scrimmage. And I think people thought, oh, well, you know, 11th overall pick, you know, this guy's going to skate circles around everybody else. It's just not the case. Like, as we said, like, the the breakdown of players at this camp is so funny because you've got Akito Hirose, who's 24 and played in the NHL last year. you got Tom Willander, who's 18. Like, those are six pretty big years of development. And sure, Hirose wasn't drafted and Willander was 11th. But again, like, you know we're talking about experience and wisdom and all those things that Akito Hirose has that at this stage of his career, Tom Allender doesn't. So, you know, for anybody that just to look at draft pedigree and think, oh, well, yeah, you'd love to pop and, and you know, stood out a little bit more. But again, where Chris Higgins talked about last year with LeCaramaki, like, you know, a week ago, the guy's drafted and then he like packs his bags and he comes to Vancouver for the first time and jet lag and time zones and just a lot for a young guy to process you know, it's a lot to take in. So he was fine. Let, let, let's just leave it in the scrimmage. You know, there were a few things I noticed that, you know, in terms of him processing the game, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of flash and dash to his game in that scrimmage, but he was fine. And and so uh, now we have a baseline. That's the other thing, as I said earlier, you know, where Mackey and the other Leas Peterson were at camp last year, and you can now sort of use that to judge how much they've grown and developed you know, we'll have that as baseline for Tom Alander. But when I watched him at practice the other day, like, you know, pretty smooth. Like, you just see, like, it, it comes pretty naturally and pretty easy to him, as you'd expect for anybody that was an 11th overall pick in the NHL draft.
0: Do we know where the Karamaki's plan, where they plan to play him next year?
2: Yeah, he's going to uh, Orbro in right. Swedish That's right. oh, we knew that. with That's the other right. Elias That's Pettersson. Right. Yes, yes. Johan Hedberg yeah. is the coach, and he was here in Vancouver for this development camp. And so Michael Samuelson will have lots of looks and lots of touches there. So, uh, no, I think he's in a pretty good situation. And, I, I, you know, I don't know where Leo Carlson is going to play. If he goes back, like, he's part of that program as well. So there's a chance that uh, the second overall pick in the draft, you know, could end up being... I mean, possibly be the center for Le Uh that, again, he may turn Might make them pro. And yeah, believe. yeah. So,
0: yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But it, but it's interesting though. At the same time too, you you know to see who will get there first. Yep. You know, with the with the route that Willander's is going to take and where uh, Lekaramaki chose to take himself.
2: Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome.
0: Wanna give a shout out to our new friends at the Applewood Auto Group, who of course are the official auto group of RinkWide here in Vancouver because JPAD, it's all good.
2: At Applewood, yes, I've heard that. And uh, again, summer season—you know, maybe uh, buying a new vehicles on your mind. Yeah. And if so, uh, please, please keep the Applewood Auto Group in mind and check them out online. Uh, start your uh, homework there, and then uh, go and find the car of your dreams. Get that convertible you've always wanted. Yeah, take it Sweet. into the
0: Okanagan. <laughs> uh, Alain Vigneault. Yeah. Hanging it up, j End of the line. End of the line for AV, 19 seasons as an NHL head coach. Of course, the winningest Canucks coach of all time. Uh, just a little reflection from yourself on AV, who uh, you spent a lot of time around.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was on the beat uh, every uh, year that he was the head coach of the Canucks, uh, hired out of Manitoba in 2006. Uh, obviously, got them to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. A couple of President's trophies, uh, you know, oversaw the best era of Vancouver Canuck Hockey. And I know some people will debate. 94 against 2011. Uh, that 2011 team uh, was the better team. And, you know, look, he put players in positions to succeed. Like, you know, putting the Twins out for all the offensive zone face-offs and starting them in the O-Zone. And, you know, recognizing that Ryan Kessler had the potential to truly be a, a Selkie Uh, shut down center and all those types of things. Um, You know, bringing in Manny Malhotra to take on some of the toughs to free up your offensive start. Like, you know, they got a little bit ahead of the curve and it wasn't all A.V. Rick Bonas' assistant there. uh, Newell Brown, one of the times that Newell was here. But, look, here's what I liked about Alain Vigneault. Uh, Clearly a really good hockey coach, but there was a perspective for him. Like, it was serious business when games and practices, but... He also recognized that it was a game. And I think I always enjoyed that perspective. Like, you know, they did a lot of winning here. And so uh, certainly the last bunch of years, you know, it was good times. And it's easier to have a smile on your face when, when you're winning. But he was just, he seemed like a good dude, like a good, honest human being. I'm sure he had some tough days, but, you know, was always able to sort of compartmentalize, didn't show it to the media and yeah, like I'm sure I asked a ton of dumb questions, but uh, you know, never made you feel stupid, always answered them with respect and those types of things. And then as I got out on the road after and started to travel once he was long gone, you know, run into him in Philadelphia at a morning skate or whatever, like when he was done with his media, he'd pull you aside, and want to catch up and see how things were going and all that kind of stuff. And and so I just yeah, an appreciation for for him, uh the job that he did. Ultimately, I mean needed that one more win in in 2011 and it didn't happen but uh you know i i guess like there were some that thought that you know that maybe the canucks moved on from alan vigno too soon of course that was the basically the trade for torts right like torts came in and he went to new york um i, I think at the end though for El vigno The Canucks got swept by the San Jose Sharks in the 2013 playoffs as the higher seed. And it just felt like the end of an era. Like it just, that felt like they had been beaten by the eighth seed the year before. The LA Kings weren't your normal eighth seed. They went on to win the Stanley Cup. But, you know, a one against eight, you lose that matchup. And then the following year, you've got home ice advantage as the higher seed and you get swept by the San Jose Sharks and it just kind of felt like it was going to be tough to bring back the band and sell that to the fan base and so I just kind of think the time was right and they moved on from him and obviously landed on his feet in New York and a couple of years later Rangers were back in the Stanley Cup final you know in Philadelphia it didn't uh, go so well there through the covid years and then was fired in t- the December of 2021 didn't coach at all last year and I think, you know, he just read the writing on the wall that his phone wasn't ringing, all these job openings uh, this offseason. There were some that maybe thought that uh, the game had passed him by a little bit. And, you know, I don't think he was looking to step back and be an assistant coach, I, 19 years as an NHL coach. Uh, I'm sure he'd squirreled away some serious cash, so uh, we won't uh, worry about uh, the financials for Alan Vigneault. And he can just kind of ride off into the sunset knowing that uh, he had an incredible coaching career, and yes, um, by more than a hundred, is the winningest coach in regular season history for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, it'll be a while, I think, before uh, anybody touches that mark. I think Alain uh, Vigneault will remain as the, you know, the, the career wins leader for the Canucks for uh, some time yet.
0: I picture him sitting on a dock somewhere in Quebec right now, uh, drinking a nice red with the uh, lozenge see with the lozenge going as well funny thing about elan uh, Vigneault, is eighth round pick back in 1990 <laughs> uh, 81 that is of the St. Louis Blues was an offensive defenseman in the queue but he racked up a lot of pims as well yeah. uh ended up winning a championship as the head coach of the Hall Olympique and then as you mentioned uh two trips to the finals Of course, losing in 2011 with the Canucks and losing as well in 2014 with the uh, New York Rangers. Let me ask you this, though. Greatest Canucks
2: coach of all time? I'd have to say, yeah. I mean, I think some people would vote for for Pat Quinn. And Pat stature. you know, to me, it's always hard to draw the line between the GM, Pat Quinn, and the coach, Pat Quinn. Uh, And Pat, certainly a legendary figure. And of course, he's got his spot in the Ring of Honor. You got the winningest coach in Canucks history, and you look at other candidates, and I don't really want to get into a, a discussion about Ring of Honor, but I, I think you could make a case that uh, you know Alavino probably uh, deserves to be up there. So uh, I would say yes. And again, like the wins and losses, sure, but I, I also think it was a little bit of innovation and in some of the ways that he went about putting his players in positions to succeed. And of course, you know the bottom line is uh, he had Roberto Luongo as a goaltender. And no other Canuck coach had had a goalie of that level and that stature. And, you know, you always hear, show me a, a good coach, and I'll show you a coach that has terrific goaltending. And certainly, Alan Vigno through his tenure, uh, as you know, I mean, Luongo, and then he had Corey Schneider. Like, uh, he was blessed with some pretty solid net minding uh, for a bunch of years there. So, yeah, I mean, just he was the guy that oversaw the best era of Vancouver Canucks hockey. It's just unfortunate that uh, they couldn't find a way to get that one more win that they needed back in 2011. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one. Playoff football, BC Place. The Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core and you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them the dome will be rocking should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks and kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome.
0: All right, you put out a poll question a few days ago that I'm quite interested in. You say, who has the inside track on the left spot of the Canucks D after Hughes and Carson Soce, Uh Will Lannan, Irwin, Hirose, or Rathbone almost 5,000 votes on this, JPAT, and 57.3% of the people like them some Hirose? Akino Hirose
2: getting the inside track, according to the people. Yeah, that surprises me a little bit. Uh, And look, he looked good in the seven games that he played. Uh, Although he's funny, like when Akino Hirose is a classic case of the eye test and the numbers don't exactly match up. Like in seven games, remember at the end of the season, his seven games included uh, games against Arizona, Anaheim, Chicago. Uh, I think he also saw the Kings and the Kraken and, and Calgary, but he saw some bottom feeders. His underlying numbers were not good. Like, I'm talking Corsi in the 35% range and expected goals under 30%, which is weird because to the eye, it all looked like it was polished and poised and, you know, calm demeanor and all that kind of stuff in comparisons to a Chris Tannen. So um, it's funny that the, the underlying numbers don't really jive with what a lot of people thought they saw with the Keto Hirose. Christian Olanon was the American Hockey League Defender of the Year. The guy played 16 games at the NHL level, has more than 80 games of NHL experience, and I, I don't know. Like, maybe it's because he got hurt and didn't finish the season, and out of sight, out of mind. I think some people are probably sleeping on Christian Olanon in that regard, especially since they brought Carson Soucy in as you know this big body to clear the front of the net kind of guy. Uh, the other one, like Matt Irwin, is really intriguing to me. Like. I, I have no idea where it's going to go for Matt Irwin, but he played 60 games for the Washington Capitals last year. Like, this isn't a guy that has, you know, been out of the NHL, is playing out the string. Oh, isn't a nice story? A BC guy coming back to Vancouver to go into retirement. Like, I don't think that's the case at all. And Rick Tockett and Adam Foote, like, they like their big strapping defensemen. And, you know, Matt Irwin's got some size to him. And so uh, I would put him as a dark horse. It's like, I wouldn't rule Adam or, uh, Matt Irwin. You know, coming to camp, having a strong camp, and getting an opportunity. So that's what training camp's all about. And we'll see how the you know cards fall, I guess, so when things start up in September. But I was a little surprised, just sort of on this vote, at the very least, how much love there was for Akita Grossi and then just another reminder that Jack Rathbone sort of feels like uh, a complete afterthought uh, through all of this.
0: He certainly is the dark horse on your poll, is matter, when it's just getting 6% of so the yeah. lowest vote from the people. Well, Lennon in second at 28.5%, and you're right, uh, the people not really believing in Jack Rathbone at 8.2%. Uh, Of course, our poll questions are presented by our buddy Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage.
2: Yeah, and even through the summer months, Jason Hominick wants to help you. If you're in the market for a new home, if your mortgage is up for renewal, if you're sort of starting that process, uh, reach out and call Jason Hominick. He's there to help. He wants to talk to you. Even if you're not up for a renewal, but you're starting to wonder if you've got the right mortgage and the right product for you and your family, again, make a phone call. Jason's happy to take that call and we'll dispense some advice. And at the very least, you have a nice conversation. And maybe it leads to, you know, when you are up for renewal. Uh, you think back and, yeah, that's a call that I have to make. So, uh, again, any of your financials uh, when it comes to the housing market, Jason Hominick's your guy. Check him out online, jason.mortgage.
0: And after you talk to Jason and save on your mortgage, then you can take that savings and put it into my Bodog Best ah, Bets here because go. we do have some futures up for the Pacific Division next year. The odds-on favorite, j I'm sure you can guess the team. It's the Edmonton Oilers at plus 210. The Vegas Golden Knights, though, the Stanley Cup champions at plus 230, but the Vancouver Canucks have the third worst odds in the division at plus 1,400. Behind them, of course, the Sharks and the Ducks, and the Sharks are plus 10,000, Ducks plus 20,000. However, I'm wondering if the Seattle Kraken aren't getting enough love here at plus 950, J. Pat. Uh, where would you lay your money if you were going to bet on the Pacific Division next year?
2: Yeah, I mean the Krakener are uh, the odds are enticing, I suppose. I'm yeah. not sure that they're ready to take a leap to be a division champ. I mean, as it sits here right now and you know, this is all based on full health of both rosters, things can and will change. Uh, it does sort of feel like a two horse race though, with uh Edmonton and, and Vegas. I, I guess I thought maybe the champs would just because of the champs get the nod there, but uh Oilers have those two guys that uh, seem like they're pretty good at hockey, uh, and that tips the the scales in their favor, I suppose. So uh, I don't know. I I have trouble just uttering the phrase, Edmonton Oilers Pacific Division champs, and you're the champs until somebody knocks you off. So I don't know. I, I think I would look at Vegas as a repeat there. You know, it's interesting to me, and we haven't done one of these pods for a little while, obviously there've been signings and teams have sort of stockpiled their players and you get a sense of what's going on around, you know, in the market in Vancouver, it feels like people think, okay, you know, the Canucks addressed a key need and that was the blue line and by extension, the penalty kill and they did all right. But I don't know about you. I'm not sure that I have read a single thing in the hockey sphere that had the Canucks as either a winner or a loser in free agency. Like, it's just like, meh, right? Like, And so, you know, are they going to be better than last year? You sure hope so. Are these guys that they brought in going to help? Yeah, you, you want to believe all of that. But it's like nobody in hockey seemed to think that anything the Canucks did in the first couple of weeks of July, you know, really moved the needle that much. And that tells me, and as you said here, like the, you know, even Vegas bookmakers, you know, again, like there is so much work to be done for the Vancouver Canucks. So...
0: I just, I have a hard time picturing them as a playoff team next year still. Yeah. And, you know, and I look at these odds as well. And for some reason, the Flames are ahead of the Kraken in terms of uh, odds at plus 650. But I look at the LA Kings at plus 385 as well. And I wonder, you know, maybe are the odds makers not giving them enough credit right now? But, you know, there is some thought of, you know, what are the Kings doing in net? So there's, again, that the division's getting better. And the Canucks, I think, have improved. But are they improved enough to be a playoff team. We'll see how that goes and we'll see how the rest of the summer goes as well. But we'll be with you here. We'll be doing pods yep. throughout uh, the summer, one a week. So stay with us here in the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast. But this has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. I'm rinkwide is the show.